0: If you're good at something, never do it for free. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fellows Entertainment Podcast, where it's just two friends talking about their love of film and television. I'm Myron, and joining me each week is Will. Hello! Each episode, we will review a movie and do a deeper dive into a related topic, Today, we'll be reviewing The Irishman, followed by a look at our favorite Scorsese moments in his films. <laughs> it took, it I, took some time. I, I walked in, I watched the movie, and I came out and I had to shave because I grew some stubble <laughs> during the course of it. Bro, it was a long film. It was a long, it was his longest film to date. Oh, holy crap. Yeah, 210 minutes. Oh my gosh. Yes. It took me multiple sittings to finish the movie, but, actually.
0: Thank God it was on Netflix. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> It's like I, I can binge watch a show ten episodes straight. Right. Right. In one sitting. But I, it took me three to four sittings to finish this movie. We'll we'll get into it a little bit more but yeah, uh of course, of course. Yeah, but uh I mean this is Thanksgiving weekend. Did you uh, have a good Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving, how about awesome.
0: you? It was good. It was uh I had uh, Thanksgiving at my girlfriend's uh grandmother's house uh with her parents. That was during lunch and then I went home and just had Thanksgiving with uh my folks. Uh, which was like all, you know, Asian style, simple, no, yeah. no big turkey. So, what
1: yeah. about you though? Had some uh, dinner at my cousin's house in uh, Eastvale. So, Eastvale is a, is a little city outside of Corona. You were in my neighborhood. Yeah, I was nearby. Thanks for yes. hitting me up, jerk. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Truth is, I didn't <laughs> want to see you. I see enough of you. I, I <laughs> just I'm kidding. Just no, it's true. See anything good this weekend?
0: So, this weekend, I, funny enough, I was having a beer and I decided, you know, I never really watched Cheers. So I sort of binge watching
1: Cheers. No, you now, no, where did you watch Cheers? Where is it available?
0: On Netflix, of course. Like the whole it entire se- Yeah, it's on, it's on Netflix, the yeah. entire season. So I watched literally like 20 episodes in two
1: days, basically. It, is it because you wanted to go where everybody knows your name? I
0: also actually oh. just finished today A Week with Marilyn. Uh, oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. With, uh, with Michelle Williams. Yes. She was incredible in that. And Eddie Redmayne.
0: And Eddie Redmayne beautifully done by Michelle. Like yeah, yeah. I was really really impressed. Did you
1: watch Dawson's Creek when you were younger?
0: <laughs> I did watch a couple episodes of Dawson's Creek, but I never got into it.
1: No like, one I mean like if you said the the biggest star out of Dawson's Creek was Michelle Williams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have said no way. Really? Right? Yeah. I thought so. Really? I I actually thought Katie Holmes was going to be big and I was a big fan of hers. Really? And then I watched Batman Begins and then I was <laughs> not a fan of hers. <laughs>
0: What did you watch over the weekend?
1: Well, I uh, got caught up on The Morning Show with my wife. Morning Show is is that new uh, flagship show offered on Apple TV Plus with Steve Carell, Jennifer Aniston, and Reese Witherspoon. I never, I've actually never heard of that. Yeah. It's a good show. I I mean, um, has all those A-listers. Yes, yes. And a ton of other really great actors that I think all just wanted to be a part of it. It's basically a fictitious version of the Today Show on NBC. Okay. And it's loosely based on what happened in real life. So the Me Too movement is heavily, is one of the big themes that they uh, address on the show. So Steve Carell plays the Matt Lauer type character. And he allegedly uses his power to manipulate and take advantage of women working on on the staff. But what's interesting about this show is it kind of takes a look at at the other side, the male point of view. But it's been really, really good. And I can't wait to see how the season ends.
0: That's great. I gotta, Yeah. yeah, I gotta check that out. What's it called again? The Morning Show. The Morning Show. Yes. really big A-listers, okay. Yes,
1: yeah. Anyway, back to the topic at hand, we are doing a film review of The Irishman. So to let you know what this film is about, we're gonna play a little audio snippet from the trailer.
0: It's over. They're all gone. Frank, it's time. It's time you say what happened. Frank, I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Better watch, there's a lot of tough guys around here. Did he tell you? You're not afraid of tough guys, are you not? I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs. until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry.
1: So here's a quick synopsis. Uh, A mob hitman, played by Robert De Niro, recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa, played by Al Pacino.
0: You had some frustration about about this film. It was because of the length of it, correct?
1: Here's the thing. I'm not going to hate a movie just because of the length, but that length needs to be fully warranted. The movie clocks in at 210 minutes. And let's let's be honest here. There are a lot of uh, shows on Netflix that are comedies that have like six to seven, maybe eight episodes that are like 25 to 30 minutes each. And if you watch the entire season, it would still be shorter than the length of The Irishman. This movie was very good um, in terms of the performances. Oh, yes. Every scene was shot, lit, edited and acted impeccably. There is not a flaw to be seen. But then When you put those scenes together, you have to start asking the question, what is the point of this movie? Um, What is it about? Who is the main character? Do we relate to them? Is the plot engaging enough for us to want to pay attention the entire time? This movie is framed like an interview where Robert De Niro's character, uh, Frank Sheeran, he's talking to someone off camera and telling them about the story of his life. And that is our introduction to the movie. So everything is framed in that way and The interesting thing is we see all that, all these people have died um, throughout the course of the movie, but there is not really any sort of tension or conflict or wondering what happens to Frank, because we know full well that he makes it through to the end of the movie. So that element of surprise and of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen is removed immediately. So I think that is one big problem why I thought the movie was too long. All these side characters are dying. Either we read about it or we see it. But we know that the person that is guiding us through the movie the main character the person that we want to you know experience a change or go through a certain character arc they don't go through any sort of arc whatsoever we just go through life with them and the next thing you know it's the end of the movie three and a half hours later they show in this movie earlier on flashbacks with robert de Niro. Um, and they show him um, the as two, he was in... The two in, Germans yeah. digging,
0: the gra- so, digging the hole. Yeah, we so, didn't know their graves.
1: Yeah, so he was basically... There's a flashback to his character in World War II where uh, Frank has his gun out, uh, his rifle, and he's watching two Germans dig their own graves, and he was asking himself, I don't know why these guys try so hard. Uh, it's as if they think that once they, they dig their own grave and they do a good job of it, that I'm not going to kill them.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Right, right that's and then right. He, he
1: just kills them anyway. And it seems like what, what they're getting at is... This guy went to war and he never really came back because he was a man who learned to follow orders um, and learned to do it in such a violent way. It's almost as if his conscience was gone and he left it in the war. And when he came back, uh, all he was doing is looking for a reason to exist and that reason was to follow orders given to him. And in that sense, his relevancy came from being given a job or a task and then following through. We see that quite a bit with Joe Pesci's character, where he would be like, there is this place out of state here. Now, this person does this thing illegally. I just want you to go and shake stuff up a little bit, you know? And so he would go do that, and that was his job. He just wanted to have orders to follow, whatever that was. So at the end, when he seems very unrepentant, it seems very much to me as if he thinks he didn't do anything wrong, because he was just following orders, and that's the thing that he was trained to do since the war. So in that sense, I, I feel like Frank Sheeran never really forgot how to be a soldier.
0: His relationship with Jimmy Hoffa, uh, it was so close. But was it close? I believe it was. It, it was
1: very interesting. Frank wanted to matter and he wanted to be relevant, so he just hung out with Jimmy Hoffa, and he he got that. He got a sense of belonging, he got a sense of- But oh, his
0: mentor was Russell, Russell
1: Buffalini. Yes.
0: Uh, Buffon, yeah.
1: yeah, played by Joe Pesci, who, in my opinion, was the standout actor in the film. He was incredible, right? What made him stand out for you? N- Never since his role in Home Alone have I seen Joe <laughs> Pesci apply himself so much. Why Home Alone? The, the, what? The why
0: not? Why not? Uh, why not? Uh, what was it? Uh, Frank? What was that film? Uh,
1: Gone Fishing? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, my cousin Vinny. Oh. <laughs> The two youths. by the way, yeah, the, the, I love that movie, I a very love underrated my movie. My cousin
0: Vinny, uh, and not going?
1: to mention Lethal Weapon Leo Gets, you remember that? Whatever Leo wants, Leo gets. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not as old as you. You're right, that's true. So, you're not as old as me, but this is another topic of conversation <laughs> that just, we had.
0: I'm just, I'm just not so, so, I'm Will, sorry, is, I'm, not, I'm no. not meaning to offend.
1: So, Will is not as old as me, but even me, when I was watching the movie because I didn't know what anything was about and we're just following the life story of this character um, and, and we're seeing who he interacts with. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa and all of these characters whom I've never heard of. I actually felt young, because I'm like, who are these guys? <laughs> so, and then of course, Jimmy Hoffa, Al Pacino. Full Pacino? Full Pacino. Full Pacino. What do you got? <laughs>
0: yeah. What do you got? Meet my little friend. <laughs> Sorry, that was a terrible accent
1: Yes, don't ever do that again, Will I won't do it again yes.
0: I won't Go on,
1: so So he went full Pacino But he was actually very good I mean, I have no idea what Jimmy Hoffa was really like But definitely the role required him to be someone that was full of himself Not willing to listen Very childish, like you said And I think he pulled that off really well It's very interesting how they portrayed the, the Hoffa-Frank relationship here because obviously they're played by Pacino and De Niro two of the greatest actors of our time so they were in Godfather 2 together of course but they never shared the screen true right yes and then the heat was the first time they were actually on screen together by the way if you had to choose between uh, the Irishman and heat go watch heat do yourself a favor <laughs> save the half hour go take a nap <laughs> So the movie takes place in a series of flashbacks. Apparently they use a lot of CG technology to age De Niro Pesci down, but even when they're trying to age them down, they look hella old. So it got me very confused. Some of these flashbacks, like there was one scene where uh, we hear that De Niro, his character Frank, he leaves his wife um, for another woman. And then the next scene, he is with his ex-wife and their daughter. So I'm like, wait, is this flashback before he left his wife or not? So they're all old to begin with and they I think they were trying to show degrees of oldness to show where they are in their flashbacks, but it became very, very confusing for me because everyone's just old, period. They should call this movie Old Fellas. And then, you know, I think one of the big things is, of course, Goodfellas, one of his best films. It was a hell of a lot shorter uh, and all of the characters, <laughs> Pesci, De Niro, were a lot younger. But it had that, that X Factor, Ray Liotta. He was unpredictable, wild, he had this certain energy, and that was missing from this movie.
0: In the scene where he lays out all the weapons to go and, and kill basically Joe Gallo's character, he had all the guns laid out on the bed, and he was narrating specifically what guns would not work.
1: Yeah, this gun is too loud. This, it gets would draw loud, this is too loud. This is too quiet. Too quiet. No if you it's is a silencer. Yeah. If it's too <laughs> quiet, then people will look at you.
0: Exactly. Like do you would you would see people familiar with like what you look like? That like was this, a great scene. This yeah. film was more sophisticated in the sense that he knew he was like kind of educating like how to really assassinate like or kill a person that, that without being caught in the sense, right? That to me was the the, the huge contrast between a film like God like Goodfellas. Yes. It was slow. It was, I believe, an hour over than it needed to
1: be. Best performance in the movie.
0: The best performance in the movie for me in The Irishman was uh, Joe Joe Pesci's character, Russell Buffolino. You you know this man who is of uh, few words, yet has a powerful presence, trying to win the affection, (laughs) creepy as it may sound, of Robert De Niro, Frank Sherman's character's daughter, and the bowling, and 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 specifically, it was the bowling alley scene.
1: Yeah. it's weird. And then later on, we see that um, Joe Pesci's character buys her a set of uh, ice skates. Yes, and leaves a hundred dollar bill in the skates. And 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 Robert yeah.
0: De Niro, Frank Sherman's character is saying like, "What do you say?" Yeah, you say, with, Thank with, you. With, with, with the with the with the ice skates, she says, "Thank you." Yeah, once. but then but then when when Joe Pesci says oh, it seems like there's something something else in there, in that $100 bill. And, and it's it, weird. It It was such an awkward, but I felt so bad because I know he was trying so hard to just...
1: And it was almost creepy in the sense that, like... It was creepy, it almost seemed as though...
0: I was sympathetic, but it was creepy, So yes. So
1: here's a major issue I had with the movie, is uh early on we see... Um, You know, Robert De Niro cares very much about his daughters, and uh, he wants to protect them. Mm -hmm. And then here's a story about how Frank's daughter, Peggy, goes to a grocery store, knocks some food down, and then the uh, main employee in the store uh, has a problem with it and shoves her. So then... Um, that scene was actually... I, yeah. lo- I, I loved it. Yeah. So, so, so what does Frank do? He walks over to the grocery store. Who hit you? Who yeah. touched yeah. you? He basically beats the shit out of the guy that put a hand on, on Peggy, right? But he tells him
0: to, Frank, Frank, right. your daughter went to you for this time. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> so there is this growing uh, storyline that they I felt like they're trying to develop of, you know, we see uh, this life of crime that Frank leads and we see it through the eyes of his daughter, Peggy, Right. But that story doesn't really lead anywhere because as she gets older, she becomes Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin literally has like two lines in the movie and we never see her again. So this whole storyline of Robert De Niro protecting his daughters and seeing how uh, she is affected by this life of crime that that her father falls in, it doesn't really go anywhere. And if we were to remove that storyline from the movie, I think we could have cut maybe 15, 20 minutes off and it would not have been anything we would have missed.
0: Wait a minute. But didn't you realize that, though, when she was uh, younger, though, where she realized what her dad
1: yeah. uh, was involved in? Yes. It was very interesting. It's like, oh, she knows. Like, we see this girl knows what's going on. right? But they abandoned it. That storyline. And it you doesn't.
0: You don't believe that that was enough?
1: That branch needed to bear some fruit. Uh, i guess you could say I but it didn't so. bear anything so
0: you yeah, yeah yeah, so for you for you it didn't elaborate further enough to solidify the fact yeah it's so like why show
1: it at all if it's not going to pay uh, if, if it's not going to pay off at the end of the movie and it didn't
0: mm. okay i see that point what has been your favorite moments characters uh, details of the film at least
1: so two characters i really enjoyed uh, was the ray romano character bill buffalino yes. and also uh, uh joe pesci's character russell buffalino so Joe Pesci, it's been a while since we saw him in a movie, and he had just had this sort of charisma and quiet energy, which we talked a little bit about Goodfellas, but it was the total yeah, opposite. total opposite. Uh, Goodfellas, I mean, he had played the guy with the ultimate Napoleon complex. You piss him off, he's gonna go ape shit on you, he's gonna stab you and kill you, right? Here he played a guy who kind of knew everyone in the room, knew what was going on very smart very calculated
0: it was so weird very
1: friendly (laughs) there was that first conversation that he had with De Niro where he's talking to De Niro and he was like you're you're Irish but you know Italian and then they had this deep conversation where we see them connecting and in Italian yeah yeah and De Niro is is basically talking about his wartime that he spent in, in Italy so for me it was just so great to see Joe Pesci back in form um you know, other than Home Alone is by far his greatest performance. <laughs> Best performance. Yes.
0: Academy Award. By player. the way,
1: if they had Home Alone 4, No. no. Lost in Vegas. Stop, uh, watch stop.
0: it. Stop.
1: They've already ruined Home Alone after like no. third. You take that back, sir. Just kidding. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then Ray Romano was, was fantastic. That first scene where he was uh, interviewing um, Frank.
0: Oh, Ray Romano.
1: Yes. I'm sorry. I don't know. Is that my best don't ever do that ever again. Here's Everybody here. loves Dreiman. Is that Jimmy Stewart? I don't know. Here's my Ray Romano impression. I was expecting Aww. you to. Anyways, uh, the Irishman is playing at a television screen near you. <laughs> Even if you have to leave your freaking couch to watch the movie. If you don't have Netflix, ask a friend that has it. Use their password. <laughs> mooch off of them. <laughs> Just kidding. But honestly, uh, it's worth a watch. Just, you know, be prepared to, to, to break it down into a few viewings. In
0: all honesty, do not watch it late at night. Yes. I, you know. <laughs> It's a good film. It is. Would you say it's Martin Scorsese's weakest? Ooh, that that silence just sounds like. It. I
1: honestly haven't seen his entire film catalog, so mm. I can't say that. But it's definitely not his best. Out of all the films, it's least, not okay, even out
0: of, out of all the films that you've
1: watched of Scorsese's. It's not even gonna... on his top five. Wow. Okay. Uh, if you had to give it a review out of five stars, five being a perfect film, what would you give it? Man,
0: okay, I will give it a solid 3.8. What about you?
1: I would say anywhere between two and a half to three stars. for this That movie. bad? Yeah. Wow. If, if your movie is overbloated with scenes that it doesn't need, there are some serious issues with your movie. All right, like we said, uh, The Irishman is playing at a TV near you. Literally, <laughs> if you're sitting on the couch very near you, it is probably like five feet from you. So... Check it out on Netflix and it's worth a watch. It
0: does look phenomenal.
1: Worth a watch. All right, we're going to take a little bit of a break here and uh, Will and I will come back to you with our top three favorite Scorsese moments. Faster than you.
0: saw you coming, you fuck. I'm standing here. You make the move. You make the move. It's your move. I'm
1: trying you. Fuck. You talking to me?
0: You talking to me? You talking to me? But who the hell else are you talking to? You're talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay. Huh? And we're back, and that was a snippet of ta- uh, the movie Taxi Driver where Robert De Niro plays the character Travis Bickle. And we're going to talk about our favorite moments, Scorsese moments, actually. So for Myron, let's have you start off.
1: One of my favorite moments is uh, the scene that we just listened to that scene where uh, Robert De Niro is holding a gun, looking at the mirror as Travis Bickle. Apparently in the script, uh, Robert De Niro is just holding his gun and looking at the mirror and kind of feeling this newfound power. But, you know, Martin Scorsese thought we need something a little more If you were in character, what would you do? What would you say? And that's kind of where this kind of came about. And to me, this is the perfect example of collaboration between an actor and a director, where a director understands the scene, the actor understands the character, and they both realize this scene is good, but it needs something else to get from point A to point B. And this is just the ultimate example of that. So what is one of your favorite Scorsese moments?
0: So my favorite Scorsese moments, uh, one of them, which was uh, held in Hugo, the film, was the one take shots, the long takes that he does to really keep the momentum going, to continuously not break away where you follow Hugo in the clock tower as he goes through the long slides. like You basically are going in his world and experiencing where he lives, his atmosphere, the environment that he's going through. about the scene where Hugo when he escapes and and he's going into his uh home where he resides as we take that journey from the clock tower as he slides goes through the slide going down going through the pipes steam all these uh contraptions of obstacles it's just to get to where his safe his safe zone is where he resides where he feels um that that he is able to uh, just be himself and just be in his zone. Right. Like that whole cut right there was. So I, I at least um that I know, Scorsese does a really good, great job in. I'm a fan of long takes. I mean, one other example, like off off beat of of Martin Scorsese, but like Children of Men, just not breaking away from the momentum that's carrying the 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 whole scene itself. And to to continuously being um, immersed and involved of what's going on. I mean, it's it's a it's honestly a kind of a classic Hollywood take in a sense, where they used to you know not have so much cuts. and it was just really focused on the whole scenario of um, really letting the entire scene carry itself in that one take uh so for me like hugo like his state of camp shots that that was really really um awesome and
1: of course there's that end scene where uh, you know everything has been resolved and all the characters have come together and i think you sent me a link where they showed the making of the shot where it's a combination of green screen exactly live sets live people uh and it's another long continuous shot at the end it, with uh sasha baron cohen uh, emily mortimer um, I have a huge appreciation when it comes to those that kind
0: of blocking because it's very hard to accomplish for it's sure. It's so technical. And and, and and imagine obviously like for the actors as well even uh, for the for you for for a director you have to imagine all that happening and and to bring to be able to bring that into reality of of going through the you know the motion graphic artist and and putting it all together What a feat, like, what an amazing accomplishment of that. Like, it's
1: beautiful. Before this, uh, Scorsese was heavily into just film. Yes. They, They were the three friends, right? Lucas, Scorsese, and Spielberg. They were all the old school, traditional filmmakers that started out as rebels in the 70s and then became established filmmakers in the 80s. And they slowly, they all started transitioning to digital with Lucas, I think, making the big step first. And then uh, Scorsese with Hugo, this was his first big push. And you know, if you watch the making of, he shot the the movie with Ari Alexis, two of them. In order to shoot the, the film in three D, he embraced green screen. And this is the really the first time where I feel like he uh, was doing something along those lines. It's funny, is uh, as much as Spielberg has been known for his progressiveness in terms of how he shoots, he does shoot quite a bit with CG and green screen, but he's yet to get away from film
0: which will lead into my second favorite uh scorsese moment that will relate to lucas and spielberg but but first of all let's go let's go to your second though Mm, so what is your second favorite moment of scorsese
1: so my second favorite moment and of course this isn't like i said in no particular order there is a chase scene in the departed which i thought was shot and edited impeccably when i was your age they would say we could become cops or criminals What I'm saying is this,
0: when you're facing a loaded gun,
1: what's the difference? So anyway, let's set up the scene here. Uh, Jack Nicholson is in an adult uh, theater in Boston with Matt Damon and they're talking. And uh, if you don't know what's happening, um, the mafia knows that there is a mole uh, from the police within the mob and then the mob also has a mole within the police those moles are played respectively by Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio and so good and they're trying to find out who the other mole is first Damon is here talking to Nicholson saying you gotta trust me let me find out let me figure this out my way and DiCaprio who is the police officer sitting in the back watching this whole thing he gets a text message saying ID the guy arrest him if you can and then there is this elaborate chase that happens and they go through Chinatown and they don't see each other's faces this this entire time, yet they're chasing one another. Damon knows that he's being followed. DiCaprio's trying to hide and how the, the blocking was, was set and how the editing um, accomplished what the director wanted was just stellar. Which brings us back around to uh, your next favorite Scorsese moment. So
0: in relation to, like I said, um, how it connects with Lucas and Spielberg. It actually comes back to the Irishman. and there's a scene with um, now no, no, this there's one specific scene with Jimmy Hoffa and um, Frank Sheeran, where they're in Jimmy Hoffa's office. But it's a classic Hollywood. It's a classic Hollywood move that that doesn't really happen or at least for me uh from what i've been able to witness in terms of films uh of the pan whips of, of keeping the shot uh not cut away it's basically one long take because it's going from one character to the next by use of pan whip but with scorsese with lucas with spielberg Like, to me, my my all-time favorite director is Akira Kurosawa. And he was the master of setting up a scene without any cutaways. To really geometrically um, shape a scene. To have the camera move. uh, And have the actors basically keep the momentum going. It was so refreshing to see that that Scorsese decided not to cut away, but to pan whip and the performance being that these are a list actors to keep the momentum going. Like for me, I, I think that that's, is a bit of a lost art and that needs to be revitalized. It needs to be resurrected because cuts it's it's so apparent. It, it's like it's it, it's so jarring at times when you have so many cuts going in between back and forth. But if you were to look at one of uh, like classic Akira Kurosawa's uh, uh, films, actually, if you can look at any of his films, and, and he's so involved with making sure that the characters and or his actors, uh, performing the scene, uh, where he doesn't have to cut away it does not allow the audience to, 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 to break away from the momentum and the whole uh, emotional involvement of what's going on that moment. Those pan whips between Jim Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sheeran as it was going were beautifully done. So what about you? What is your third?
1: Uh, my third uh, Scorsese moment that I wanted to talk about here uh, was from Raging Bull. In my opinion Raging Bull is Scorsese's best film um, and of course it's with uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. So there's a shot where um, De Niro playing Jake LaMotta emerges from the locker room and um, comes out into the arena floor and enters the ring and it's all in one long cam take and this is basically uh, Jake LaMotta at his peak The reason why Raging Bull works so well is we see this character at his best and at his worst. This was back early on um, in the 80s where Steadicam was just starting to get used a lot. It was first used in Rocky and a few other films. And I think it was starting to really reach its uh, maturity in the early 80s. You know, there wasn't a lot of editing here, like the uh, departed chasing, but I felt like it accomplished quite a bit in the scope of the film. And steadicam, of course, is something that Scorsese uses quite a bit in his movies.
0: The breathing room, as the steadicam then transitions, because it was a pretty medium close-up shot of De Niro's face mm-hmm. with Joe. In the Manchin. locker room, right? As the transition to where we go from the front of De Niro's uh, face. To his back mm-hmm. towards the ring yeah the cam then slowly like paces and allows nero to go further yeah. and further as the crowd the scene
1: breathes a little bit as we start to become aware of the surroundings the
0: immensity of the crowd yes. cheering yeah and i thought what what a brilliant what a brilliant take yeah what an amazing take right yeah. there
1: yeah yeah so, uh, Cam, of course, I think is going to come up again in your next film.
0: It is. And that comes to the Goodfellas scene. where Le-
1: Ray Liotta, The Goodfellas scene.
0: The iconic Goodfellas scene. Where Ray Liotta goes into, uh, I believe, the jazz club. Uh, and With was, Lorraine Bracco. Yes. yes it, she, he was leading Lorraine Bracco into yeah. that scene. The backdoor entrance. The backdoor New York entrance where he just goes into the jazz club and... What amazing long take I, I don't know what it is about long takes. I love steady cam long takes yeah. with especially with that with the narration but the pace of yeah. it to have enough time to explain each character right and not cutting yeah. away. Thank you
1: sir. All right, I'll see you
0: later. Thanks.
1: What are you doing? You leaving your car? Watch it's the car for me. It's
0: easier than leaving it at a garage and waiting. It's lot quicker that way. You know what I mean? Huh? I like going this way rather than waiting in the line. <laughs> good, good. Huh?
1: That scene was key because that basically wins us over because he brings his girl in to try to win her over. And as he's trying to win win her over, we are that character. We are the girl being brought into his world. And he has like this wad of cash and he's like handing out tips. Oh, doing so it, like how seduced we for being being no yeah he was like here's here's i don't know how much money he was given them but here's some cash here oh thanks for letting us in and then when they get out onto the floor they literally bring a table out right in front of everybody everybody right in front of the performers and then he takes a seat with lorraine brocco and they sit there and then that that music's playing in the background the style and it's just like the the pizzazz and just the energy of that scene so good most people don't know this but but it
0: takes a lot yeah. of
1: blocking and if one person is off with their line or their cue you gotta start the whole damn thing over exactly
0: and and, and it's just once you get it right though what man the accomplishment of and, and, and the results of what it gives yeah, it's
1: perfect it's beautiful yeah. it's and what's funny is the the reason why i love this scene so much is a lot of steady cam shots are used um for action scenes where uh You follow a certain character through a crowd or he's fighting people. But in my opinion, this is one of the best because it was all about a boy trying to impress a girl and we are that girl and we are brought into that world. So that was a film review of The Irishman followed by a look at some of our favorite Martin Scorsese film moments. Next week, we'll be coming back at you with a brand new episode. We will be doing a review on Knives Out, directed by Ryan Johnson we'll be looking at his film career and also doing a re-review. I had to enunciate that. A re-review why of re- The Last Jedi.
0: Why why re-review?
1: I don't know. Because like review, so re-review we're taking another look at. Mm. Re-review. Sure. Re-re. re Not to be confused with re-re like Rihanna. <laughs> Cuz that's for the collar, right?
0: Oh, re-re. that's
1: what, that's what the young that's for the young kids collar, right? Oh, re re-re. Yes. <laughs> Oh, really? (laughs) We'll see you next week.